Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Dirty Drinks. How are you today, Rick? I am wonderful, Sarah. Yourself? I am not too bad today. I have a question for you. Uh, I might have an answer. We'll see. Okay, here goes. Just today, right now, when was the last time you washed your hands? Um, well, I've been standing in my office here doing notes for a little while, but I bet it was probably about uh, 45 minutes ago. Okay. So did you know that people touch their face an average of 23 times an hour? That's crazy. Is that, how do they measure that? Oh, they did a big study in a, I, I don't even know where, but that was the average number of times a person touched their face. I knew it was a lot, but I don't know if I knew yeah. that number. It's a little ridiculous. So how many times a day is that? 23 times an hour? Yeah. Wow. So when you're awake, let's say 16 hours. That's, it's a lot. That is a big number. Yeah. Why are you asking me that? Well, today is kind of a special day. Um, it is World Hand Hygiene Day. Does that mean we have a special episode? If we have another special episode. Yes. Outstanding. I love special episodes. Yeah. And I feel like this one is extra special because we talk about hand hygiene all the time on the show. Yes. Yes, and we it, do. It's not only good for when you forget the answer to something. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that with our guests. I don't know if they know <laughs> that. Yeah. So we have a whole panel of guests today. So um, we are going to kind of let them introduce themselves first, I think. Um, first, I'll start with Ms. Kate Tyner. She's been on the show before. Kate, would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners? Yes, I'm Kate Tyner. I'm a nurse infection prevention supervisor. Been in healthcare for 20 years now, and I do like washing my hands. That is good to know. It's important. All right, next we have Ms. Jody Siebold. Jody? Hi, my name is Jody Siebold. I'm also a nurse and infection preventionist. Um, I've also been in healthcare for a few years. Um, hand hygiene and my first job out of nursing school was working in the operating room. So I love hand hygiene. I love the smell of soap and alcohol and bleach. So, yeah. <laughs> I can just yeah. see Jody standing in the corner smelling the soap. Yeah. <laughs> and our last but not least panelist, Ms. Rebecca Martinez. Rebecca? Hey, so I'm Rebecca Martinez. I'm one of the infection preventionists um, with the Nebraska ICAP team. And I've been in healthcare for, you know, over 10 years. And I used to, you know, kind of lead a hand hygiene campaign. So it's really important to me. And I like to clean my hands. And also I like to have people who, you know, um, you know, my healthcare providers to clean their hands too. It's real important for me and my family. So glad to be here. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show, ladies. We're happy to have you. Thank you definitely glad you're all here um, and glad that there's a hand hygiene day. I didn't realize that, but I think Sarah, in addition to seeking out the supernatural, is very good at finding these special days or weeks so that we can have special episodes. Yeah, I, I found a really cool calendar uh, that has just a bunch of random healthcare holidays, so there will be more coming up. Outstanding. And again, every day in healthcare is hand hygiene day. It's true. Right. It's true. It should be anyway. If it's not in your facility, you should make everyday hand hygiene day. So um, we talked a little bit about people touching their face a lot during the day. Um, and as healthcare providers, I think we can kind of understand why it's so important to practice hand hygiene. But would anybody like to maybe break it down a little bit for our listeners on why that's so important? 
I think that hand hygiene is so important because it's one of those things that you can do, you know, to interrupt, you know, the, the transmission of these germs, you know, in your healthcare environment across various different stages. You know what I mean? So, you know, when you think about it, you know, it's, it's making sure that you don't have germs on your hands, you know, or you're reducing the amount of germs, you know, on your hands, right. So that you're not taking it, you know, from one plate, from your hands, you know, to your patient, um, you know, or from, you know, the patient to your hands, you know, um, and you're, it's not just, um, when you're doing your hand hygiene, when you're going into a room and when you're kind of leaving the room, it's, you know, you want to make sure that you are, you know, interrupting that cycle, you know, before you're touching the patient, after you're touching the patient, you know, when, you you know, um, you know, after you're touching kind of their environment, you know, their room and, and all those good things. And that's why I think it's, it's important. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's important, Kate, um, I'm going to break it down. Like, like very simply, like this is, uh, as a mom, you know, I've gone to a career day in the classroom. I've done little things for the Brownie troop, et cetera. Um, <laughs> and watching is always the thing, right? So yes, I'm a proud owner of a black light kit for these various activities. But when my daughter was really like a kindergartner, little, we did an activity with the brownie troop where I brought a doll and, you know, they just knew I was a nurse and, it, you know, it's very hard for little kids to understand what infection preventionists do. But I had them, you know, look at the doll and, you know, like she had like bandages on her leg, et cetera. And, you know, what do you think's wrong with the doll? What should we do? And so we're taking that. I had the bandage loaded with tons of black white powder. So all the little girls were helping undo the bandage so that we could look at the doll's leg, et cetera. And then after that, then I told them what my job really is. You know, you work in a hospital where everybody who's sick comes and all the sick people are together. So how do we keep everybody from getting sick from all the sick patients? And so then we got out the black light and I explained it. And I mean, they're covered. They're covered in powder. Their little hands are covered. Their faces are covered. The fronts of their shirts are covered within a 15 minute period. And I think that that's the kind of thing that, why is hand hygiene important? Because we interact as humans with each other, with our hands. We shake hands, we touch pens, we touch doorknobs. That is the number one way we are going to take organisms from person to person. So breaking it down really simply, that's how you interrupt things from moving person to person. Yeah, I'm passionate about it. That's yeah, awesome. thanks, thanks uh, for that. So um, when you're teaching people about this, and let's say in healthcare, um, they talk about five moments of hand hygiene. And so can you guys explain a little bit about what those are so that you could, it's just simple, easy things like this as help us remember, right? So from my perspective, I've always taught like the idea of incredibly easy to get overwhelmed. I could wash my hands every time I turn around, right? Like the idea that you touch your face 23 times in an hour, just before you touch your face, you should clean your hands. You wouldn't be doing anything but cleaning your hands. Right. And I think it's easy for people to get overwhelmed and say, then I, if I can't do it right, like I'm never going to be successful at this. So when you break it down to the five moments, you really, I would, we had like nurse residency, things like that. I would really talk to people like, what is the most important time? Number one, before you do those critical tasks, right? Before you touch somebody's ventilator, before you touch somebody's central line site, all these vulnerable places, like you got to have clean hands. That's number one. And then like backing it up from there, it's also really important if I've left one patient's room and I'm going to another, I clean between the rooms. And so when you talk about those five moments, breaking it down for people, I think, so it's less overwhelming. I feel like I can be successful if I break it down to the five moments. That's great. Jody, do you have anything you'd like to add? Well, the thing about it is too, is, you know, when we, when Rebecca talked about a hand hygiene program within a facility, um, you can either use the World Health Organization or the CDC's hand hygiene. And that's where the five moments of hand hygiene comes in. And the other thing too, is when I would have conversations with staff is we all know that there's more than just the five, you know, it's before you prepare somebody else's food, helping, you know, set up a lunch tray, helping somebody, I know, answer their cell phone, that's an inpatient unit. Um, I would always, and this is just kind of, people would kind of look at me a little weird. I'm just like, okay, you know, if I come out of a patient's room, it's, you know, gel in and gel out. But the other thing too is, um, 
you know, when I did new, new employee orientation, I would often count how many things I had to touch just to get from point A to point B. And during that high and hygiene lecture, you know, I would tell them it took me 48 things that I had to touch, either uh, a doorknob, some kind of elevator button, some sign of something to get over here to walk up the steps, anything else like that. And then um, the other moments that I often talk about is, you know, aside from food preparation is even before you go to the bathroom, because you have to wash your, you know, you have to touch the doorknob to get into the bathroom too. And people kind of look at me like I'm really strange. It's like, no, you have to assume that there's a fine film of something that you don't want on every single surface and you are bringing that surface into the environment where you're at so it's just kind of like you know could you stand there and wash your hands or do alcohol hand hygiene you know hand hygiene all day absolutely but you have to recognize that you know that's not the only thing that you're going to be doing all day um but that's that's those are critical moments so it goes beyond just those five moments and you know, I'm often freaked out when people like bring their computer laptops into the bathroom or, you know, think good for iPod, you know, um, AirPods and the things that we have to go wireless, but still you have to touch something to put that on. So if you touch up to your ear for your AirPod, you know, you're, you're touching your face, you're touching your hair. So, I mean, it's just multiple things. And when you start paying attention to what you touch and what other people touch, it, you really start to make those connections and how things can easily, easily spread from point A to point B. And in healthcare, I remember having this conversation too, is, you know, I would, I would have a conversation with EVS director, you know, and they're just like, well, you know, the floor, there's nothing visible on the floor, but I'm just like, you know, when you think about bags, purses, you know, people getting in and out of that bed and then their feet are on the bed, you're touching the bed and you're making the assumption that, you know, there's nothing pourable, splashable, sprayable on that bed that, you know, you're necessarily going to do hand hygiene and they wear gloves. So you're touching the sheets, working on the assumption that they're clean, but they just crawled into bed with their socks on that they've been on the floor. And you never know what's been on the floor. So it's, it's more than just the things that you, you know, touch from a waist up. It's the things that, you know, can cross-contaminate every surface of the environment. <laughs> I think like one of the important things Jody was talking about is once you start watching people, how much you learn about um, surface contamination and how frequently people should clean their hands. I think that was one of the most um, rewarding parts of being an infection preventionist is when we would train um, hand hygiene champions um, on the inpatient units to observe for hand hygiene, because those were huge aha moments. It, I think it was less about truly teaching people um, the moments. It's they recognize when they see their colleagues be successful and fail, that they do those same things themselves. I had the same experience when I was learning to observe hand hygiene. And I think that's a really important facet of um, hand hygiene and infection prevention is teaching people how to watch for it because it increases awareness. Um, so I, I personally think that's a really important part of any prevention program is getting people on the ground involved in watching and being aware. One of the other challenge too, aside from, you know, frequency and learning how to watch is the the conversations that I also remember too is, you know, people like to personalize themselves, um, especially if you work in an area where you have to wear like um, OR scrubs, where, you know, you don't get much individualization in what you get to wear, whether you wear colored scrubs based upon, you know, your profession. So really the only thing that you can turn to is how do you adorn yourself to set your, yourself out from other people? Well, most people like to wear rings and have artificial nails or nail polish and all that kind of fun stuff. And um, in the OR, I mean, anything that is not a natural nail is considered artificial. So I remember having conversations and it turned into an interdisciplinary team of, you know, do we allow fingernail polish? That was acceptable. That was our facility decision. However, if that fingernail is, if that polish is chipped, worn off, look like, you know, you stuck your hands down the garbage disposal and your nails just look un, unkept, 
that's probably going to harbor some sort of bacteria or even fungus, depending on what you're doing. Um, so it really depends on your facility policy. And I think that's, you know, when I hear some things and I read things, um, that is the struggle. Do you allow artificial nails in like the perioperative environment care environment? And I, I wanted to fault that it's probably a hard no for some people, but then you get into the argument of, well, it's a shellac or it's a gel, it's a tape, it's a dip, you know, and it all comes down to if it's not your natural nail, it's considered artificial. So those are the things that I remember having conversations about. Um, I remember specifically, and I'll share this, um, I fired my dentist in the office a couple of years ago um, because it just, it dawned on me one day and I'm laying there waiting for everybody to come into the room and, you know, dentist officer open. And, you know, it's just not dentist officer notorious for not doing hand hygiene. Everybody's guilty for hand hygiene, um, non-compliance. And it just dawned on me one day and I heard the gloves come off the snap snap and throwing it and everybody just sat in their chair and, you know, was putting on another pair of gloves while they're ready to get into my oral cavity. And it's just like, wait a minute, no, nobody washed, washed their hands. And unfortunately, I wasn't brave enough to speak up at that time. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to go back. And so I found another dentist office and they had me fill out the form and it says, you know, can we contact your previous office for your records? And, it, and one of the questions is, why did you leave your previous office? And I wrote down on there, non-compliance with hand hygiene mm -hmm. between patients. Mm -hmm. So the new office, that's, that's one of the things that I did for my environmental scan. I'm mm -hmm. like, where's the hand hygiene? I can smell it. You know, and I can tell when you guys are doing it or not, just because you're wearing gloves. And I think that's another misnomer of, well, my gloves are protecting the patient and protecting me. And we know I that's not true. I really like your points about the nails, Jody, because it's, I think all of us who work in infection prevention have been here at one time or the other. Mm -hmm. What's the beef with our acrylic nails? And so like my go-to is I'm going to go find out. I'm going to go to the CDC hand hygiene guideline. I'm going to look at all the references and I'm going to study why did they say no? And so um, I have given, you know, when I've gone to do teaching here and there, that's something that I like to talk to people about is it's easy for people to kind of miss the positive intention. You know, I do want you to have your individuality. I want mm -hmm. you to have, you know, a positive quality of life. But when it comes to artificial nails, the data is actually really old, but it's really well established like those um, gram negative rods and water loving microbes stick to acrylic differently than they stick to natural nails. So even people with the best intention to clean their hands, once you put something artificial on the nail surface, you're no longer gonna be able to get those sticky microbes off. And so when you talk about even your opinion about like regular nail polish, the tricky thing is if you get chips, even little chips, the level of the nail is no longer smooth that now we have microbes collecting in those chips even if they're small and um, there's enough outbreaks especially in immunosuppressed populations you know really little babies oncology units things like that that really kind of surround this question about acrylic nails that people who do this every day are just like yeah it's hard enough for me to remember to clean my hands all the time I'm not going to make it harder <laughs> and so really that's where a lot of us struggle because it's easy to get kind of named as like a very unfun person when you're the one walking around and like, yeah, your nails are beautiful, but they're really not appropriate for healthcare. You know, mm -hmm. you could hurt yourself. Um, you could hurt other people. So when I would talk about it, I would, you know, what are water loving organisms, right? And so I would show pictures of wounds infected with pseudomonas, you know, the characteristic green tint and anybody who's ever taken care of those patients, it's a very characteristic smell as well. And so like, for me, like, I just, I would not put that on my hands. That freaks me out. Um, so that's when I try to talk to people about it, I really try to like, it's my, not my opinion. It's this thing that I know about mm -hmm. the microbes sticking to those surfaces. I don't think it's popular, but um, it's what we know. Yeah. And jewelry too. You know, when we talk about wedding bands, um, you know, pieces of, you know, very personable items. And that's very difficult, you know, cause in the OR there's no jewelry. I mean, especially in your hands and wrists. Now 
ears and necklaces are completely different. Aorin has changed their, their um, direction on that. Um, but when it comes to surgical hand prep, I mean, you cannot get in between or underneath the surfaces of, of jewelry. So that's another thing that people often ask, well, you know, I can clean my hands and, you know, appropriately, but it's kind of like, well, there's really some good, good guidance and good studies on there too, that they've, they've swapped underneath people's rings and swapped rings after they've removed them when they've done hand hygiene. So, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, you're kind of the, the fun cop sometimes that you feel that, you know, you're, it's fabulous that you, you know, can decorate your fingernails like, you know, it's Easter time to make them look like Easter eggs, but is it necessarily safe for you when you think about it? And then also for your patients, because, you know, if you're wearing gloves, you know, that's, we've all pulled gloves out of a box, non-sterile gloves out of a box. And so we've seen visible holes. It's the holes that you can't see. And then it's the holes that could possibly incur while you're wearing gloves because of your fingernails. So, so with the number of fun police on this panel, <laughs> I'm interested what habits for hand hygiene, just knowing how much you all care about it, you're all very passionate about it. What habits from the hospital do you take home and like do in your personal life? Or would you teach your kids? Those kind of things. What things are important enough that you took them into the home life? I think we should start with Dr. Starlin on this one. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> thanks. I was going to ask another question, but this, this is good for now. So, I mean, you know, at the hospital, um, I'm always a gel in gel out kind of person when I go into a room or, or anything like that. And there's, you know, fortunate to work at places that have them in very accessible and visible places. So I find it hard to even walk by one without um, getting one if it feels like it's been a minute that I haven't done it. Um, and we can talk about the differences between gel and, and soap and water at, at some point in time, too, because I think that would be interesting to hear you guys' perspectives on that. At home, um, I have to admit, I'm not quite as vigilant of that. I don't have uh, uh, gel dispensers hanging on all my hallways or outside every room. So it's, <laughs> it's not quite the same. But obviously, I mean, I think anytime you're in the bathroom or getting preparing to eat, um, I think are, are key times to, to use uh, hand hygiene in those situations. I will admit that if I'm not in, you know, those places and I'm sitting around, you know, watching TV in the evening that I'll, I'll go long stretches without that at home. And I think that's probably okay um, for the most part. However, um, one thing I want you guys to comment on is that I do touch my phone a lot, which actually accompanies me to work. And so how much risk is there there, I think is a little harder to quantify. I mean, I'm not, obviously not bringing it for to another human at that point in time, but potentially exposing myself. Uh, but I'm interested in what you guys do. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So, um, and I think the past two years, you know, I've certainly kind of upgraded, you know, my um, hand hygiene and, you know, kind of looking at all those fomites and kind of those objects that I'm interacting with, you know, every day, both for me and my family. So what I do is, you know, I, when I come home, I have my disinfectant wipes right there. You know, when I, when I come in through the garage, um, I make sure that I disinfect my phone and I actually have a little, um, um, kind of machine, you know, that puts some UV light on the, on the cell phone or not, you know, whether that's more, um, the most effective, you know, or not, it's just another measure that I'm trying to do to kind of keep that safe. And while that is running, you know, I make sure that myself and my kids you know that we are, you know, washing our hands, you know, here at the, at the kitchen sink and that we're using in that paper towel, you know, to make sure that, you know, we're turning the water off. We're not just, you know, using our already cleaned hands, you know, to go ahead and turn off, you know, the handle and recontaminating ourselves. So those are some things, you know, that I do at home. I just yell at my kids to wash their hands all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure they think I'm the hand hygiene Nazi, but you know, every time they come in from playing outside or we're getting ready to cook food or using the restroom, you know, it's really important. And we go through a lot of hand soap and um, I hope they take that with them when they're out of the house. I feel like I'm going to be better at doing my phone based on what you guys said. Now you've got me. Um, I'm big at washing as soon as I come in. Like that, like, otherwise, uh, like, I'm not as vigilant 
But as soon as I come home, that's like my first thing I want to do. I think I'm a little bit weird about it, honestly, is right to the sink. So I remember early in the pandemic, I mean, people were taking off their clothes in the garage and, and everything else, you know, just out of, out of fear. I'm not sure we have to, you know, necessarily go to that extent for things, but I think we do have to realize that, you know, there is the potential to bring things home, especially if we have at risk individuals in our house, it's something to think about, but walking and washing your hands right away, I think is, is a great, I tend to wash mine on the way out from the hospital. That's uh, a thing that I've kind of started to do. And I tend to use soap and water in that situation because I feel like after 10 hours of putting gel on that I need to get that off as well. So I'm interested in you guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I've been practicing long enough. Once upon a time, there was a limit on how many times you could gel before you were required to Mm -hmm. wash. Mm -hmm. That never went away for me. I can only do hand gel probably like, three or four times before I'm, I'm ready to go and wash. I feel a grit and that's just being in healthcare for a long time. You know, it's funny, no. Kate, that you said, um, or somebody said that when you get home, you feel like you need to like wash it off. Working in dentistry, we're in the aerosol and spray and splatter all day. And it, it's not only on our hands. There were days when I wanted to come home and crawl into an autoclave because I just felt <laughs> so, like, there's pieces of people's teeth in my hair. That's really gross. And I need to wash it off. <laughs> so hand hygiene is important, but when you're in certain environments, I think, you know, just whole body hygiene is really important as well. I don't want to, you know, come home with people's teeth in my hair and then hug my kids. That's not a good thing to do. What I think is important is, you know, we talked about, you know, using that alcohol-based hand rub, you know, frequently, you know, that's, you know, great, you know, in most situations, totally agree when you come home, you're leaving the facility, making sure that you're getting that dirt and grease and grime, you know, you're rinsing that off, um, you know, using that soap and water, you know, with some gentle friction, you know, and kind of rinsing those germs, you know, down the drain, but also periodically throughout your day, you know, anytime that your hands are visibly soiled or questionable, or you feel that grit, you know, washing your hands with soap and water is important in particular because the ant- the alcohol-based hand rub d- isn't effective, you know, against, you know, all those germs. And, you know, lately we've been seeing, you know, a little bit more of those, you know, gastrointestinal germs like norovirus, which, you know, alcohol-based hand rub isn't effective, you know, against. So we want to make sure that we're washing our hands in those situations and the same um, for our like C. diff spores. The other aspect that I remember um, is project evaluation, you know, and everybody likes to have, um, because hand skincare is just as important as hand hygiene. Um, Having worked in the OR and doing the old school scrub brush, you know, they still have the scrub brush, but now they recommend using the sponge on the other side um, because they recognize that it could just, especially in the wintertime, but there's people that have, you know, contact dermatitis from multitude of things, um, just, you know, the frequency of use. So having work with employee health in that context with contact dermatitis for some of the products and, you know, how those are challenges and then um, approving some of those hand hygiene products that are not, you know, widespread throughout the facility that may be unique for an individual or group of individuals. But, you know, the other thing too is walking through when you do like your environmental rounds um, with infection prevention is everybody likes to have their, their own scent of, you know, um, hand, hand lotions, you know, and, you know, that's fine. Um, But the, when employee health would contact me and they say, you know, so-and-so has, you know, contact dermatitis, one of the things that we would often ask them is, you know, were you using the hospital approved hand lotions that were compatible with the gloves that were compatible with, you know, the hand hygiene products. And if not, you know, was that a, an issue with all the fragrances that was, you know, within that Japanese blossom, you know, fragranced (laughs) lotion that you had. And the other thing too, is, is recognizing, you know, sometimes like in the OR, you want to, you know, you know, it's all about individuality and looking and smelling nice because you get to wear scrubs that somebody else wore the day before is, you know, um, that scented hand hygiene, you know, those lotions, and then it break, it may break down 
those gloves. You know, you've I've been in procedures where they're 12 plus hours, you know, in, you know, we would double glove. Um, but still in the context of, you know, those little micro holes that may develop or contact dermatitis. So when you talk about a hand hygiene program, it's not only compliance with frequency and use in the different type of products. We're also talking about hand skin care. So that's also a major part of a hand hygiene program is to offer those, those emollients, those lotions that are compatible with the products that are in the facility. Because, you know, once people's skinned, I mean, I've seen some, some pretty, I'm pretty sure everybody's seen some pretty impressive contact dermatitis or some sort of reaction um, just from the amount of product or just the product itself and then trying to get that under control. And then, you know, how, how do they work in the environment or what else can they do while their hands are healing, you know? And what's your policy on that within the facility? So those are things when we talk about hand hygiene that people often forget is the hand skin care that is also important. And then um, long sleeves. I remember teaching and we would wear our white coats, you know, as, as instructors. And um, I would, you know, I had like three or four coats. And the first thing I would do is just spray down the cuffs because the cuffs, when you go from room to room, even though you're not doing direct patient care, you're just in the environment, just the bottom of your cuffs and your elbows, it, those coats. And then we think of your scrub jackets and just your scrubs in general, you know, Sarah talked about being covered with stuff, you know, wash them, wash them. Everybody likes to hang them up and leave them there, you know, at work or wherever it is. So and you yeah. start paying attention to things, it's, it's, it gets kind of interesting. It's gross. We're going to ruin um, <laughs> everything that everyone does by talking about hand hygiene and why it's important. Um, Kate has a really fun, quick fact about norovirus. So, and I'm, I'm getting this from, it's a journal article really, literally called Norovirus, the perfect human path pathogen. And if this won't make you wanna wash your hands, I don't know what will. So there are up to 100 billion viral particles in a gram of norovirus infected stool, 100 billion, that's 10 to the 11th power. It's a lot of particles and it only takes 18 or more to make a person sick. So that's why I wash my hands. <laughs> That is a good reason to wash your hands. The other thing interesting about norovirus is, is if somebody's actually vomiting is how far it can spread. I don't know if that article talks about it, but it's, it's um, multiple feet away. So if you, even if you don't think you're close to the person, um, you can certainly uh, get exposed to norovirus. I mean, it, it basically almost single-handedly took down the cruise ship industry a few years ago. Right? I remember that. Mm -hmm. I remember that. They didn't have an IP on board, did they? <laughs> Literally. Yep. So what we would always do in the hospital is for our contact precautions, you know, for our norovirus, we would always have, you know, education, you know, that if they're vomiting and those type things that we want to make sure that we're using a mask, you know, just because... Um, you know, it's so transmissible. I think it's one of those reasons too, that infection prevention is needed in a lot of industries, right? The cruise ship, I think that's a, an excellent point, but you think about daycare and schools, that things like that, um, it would help to have some additional personnel and assistance on board in those instances. One question that I was gonna ask uh, our panelists is, is that you all, I'm not going to say nothing about this, but you guys have all been doing infection prevention for a while. No comment on that. And been doing it at various facilities. Um, and you thus have investigated outbreaks um, over periods of time. Do you have any examples where your main finding was maybe that hand hygiene or something with the nails or the jewelry that you guys have talked through has been the main culprit in that outbreak? 
I think that's a great question, you know, Dr. Starlin. And so I think whether, you know, it came, you know, from us, you know, where we may or may not have worked, you know, before or just, you know, nationwide, there's so much evidence out there that really points to that, you know, um, that transmission of those, you know, germs, you know, from the hands of healthcare workers. And so, for example, the technology that we have today, which is great, we even have that technology here in Nebraska at the Nebraska Public Health Lab, you know, we can send samples, um, you know, from patients, and they can do, you know, this technology um, where it can look at and see if this germ is connected to this germ, you know, by its, by its, you know, genetic code. And so, um, you know, I can't comment, but I do believe that that has been used um, in the past to, um, you know, definitively state that these um, germs are related to one another. And then you could go back and look at, you know, the healthcare workers that were maybe with patient A, patient B, and patient C, and you can see, you know, a pattern um, that's pretty, um, pretty um, suggestive that the outbreak, um, you know, whether it continued or not, was perpetuated by the transmission from healthcare worker um, to patient and such. Yeah, so we're not just blowing smoke, right? There's actually been documented evidence with these things that are recommendations, especially the nails, right? I'm, I'm, I know that there's been strong links to cases with uh, the acrylic nails and things that Jody was talking about. Uh, so it's not just because we have a, we are anti-individualization and wearing nails and jewelry. It actually is a, a patient safety issue, right? Correct. And I, I consulted on um, an outbreak uh, a while ago where, um, you know, that sometimes with outbreaks, there's no smoking gun, right? There's a myriad of things that like are not quite right. Um, but this was a situation where they were really concerned about um, surgical site infections um, and a traveling surgeon. And the surgeon had like a team approach. They, they brought multiple people. And unfortunately, one of the people on the team was like very well known to have artificial nails and the traveling team. They weren't part of the hospital policy, et cetera, um, that it was really uh, suggestive of the problem. Um, the one thing, like when you talk about like genotyping and whatnot that I'm loathe to have to end up doing, but like usually like in an outbreak, that would be something like you do your rounds, you look at like, you know, that list of things that's wrong. I would be scared to death um, to culture people's hands. Um, the thing that you worry about is if, if a healthcare worker knew they were the one that caused an infection, you know, like that would be heartbreaking and potentially something that um, those of us who went into healthcare, like might not be able to live with, um, would it make a person leave healthcare if they knew that? Um, and so definitely like when I'm looking at outbreaks and have, um, I would point it out in that way as like a possible link, but I would be really, um, I would, that would be a last ditch idea is to have to actually culture people that would make me really, really nervous. Um, hopefully people would get good compliance with, you know, just people wanting to be part of a solution. Thanks. One other thing that I had asked about earlier was hand gel versus soap versus hospital soap versus, you know, whether you got CHG or anything like that. Do you guys have comments on the efficacy of those? And is, you know, do we need to do some of this stuff at our house like you were talking about earlier? Or is that just stuff that needs to be left at work and we can use regular soap and water at home? Great question. Um, so- I'm glad I asked it so I don't have to answer it. Yeah, so I have a couple of <laughs> thoughts. The first thing is, you know, I came from the Rupp School of Infection Control. Dr. Mark Rupp was the medical director. And I, you know, I credit him with a lot of the, the things that I learned about infection control, but he was really like bullish on, we're not gonna take away tools to do hand hygiene. So in our facility, we would never cover dispensers or take dispensers away. Um, even if we had C. diff or norovirus present, the idea we can tell people, yes, preferentially wash your hands with soap and water, but in some situations, that's the only choice and you don't want to take away the only choice. Something is better than nothing. And so I think that that's really, um, we have to remember that in healthcare. Um, we have to teach people the right way, but we can't take away tools. Um, and definitely in the absence of gross soil on your hands, 
alcohol hand gel is incredibly effective. Um, and some of the more recent CDC tools, they really break down that efficacy. Um, alcohol has longer residual effect and it's so much faster and it's just, it's very highly effective. So that's when I was doing ICAR assessments in the early days, like 2015 to 2018, that was one of the most fun things to be able to tell um, facilities is that there's great data that alcohol hand gel may be more effective than soap and water in a lot of circumstances. Um, and so we would help people with that. Um, and then on the final question, like, do I take it home? Uh, I'm now wild about the antimicrobial properties of soap. You know, like healthcare, we had to get rid of like CHG in our soaps, I think as of 2014 or 2015. And I think that was kind of a watershed moment that it's like, well, I don't want CHG in my toothpaste and in my soap. I think if I just wash the things away at home, I'll be good. So at home, we, we have disinfectant wipes for when people are sick, but in general, we're cleaners, not disinfectors at home. And I think that extends, you know, outside of, you know, um, in your general hospital settings, you know, regular soap and water is just as effective as your, um, you know, antimicrobial soap and water. So um, it could be, you know, less irritating for staff as well. So you could have general soap and water in your hospital in most situations. Yeah, I'll add to what both of these ladies just said. Um, in about 2018, I believe, manufacturers were instructed to take triclosan out of hand soaps. Yes, it was triclosan, not CHG. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I was going to comment there. on that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, so. Rick, do you want to talk about why, since you're the ID guy? Well, I mean, I, I think it has to do with, um, you know, we're trying to limit antimicrobial exposure to organisms. And so, the, you know, basically our whole thinking on antibiotics has uh, evolved a bit over time. And so we know that the more that you put pressure on organisms, so the more antibiotics that they see, the more likely they are to become resistant. And so... Soap in and of itself, alcohol in and of itself has antiseptic properties. So you, you don't have to add antimicrobials to it. And adding the drug to it just leads to multidrug resistant organisms. Yeah. So I always tell facilities, um, if you haven't gone through your inventory in a while, there could still be bottles of antimicrobial soap with trexan in it floating around in the back of a cupboard somewhere. So if you ever find that, just pitch it. Um, make sure you dispose of it and don't use it in practice. It's probably all expired by now anyway, but keep an eye open. <laughs> don't, don't be too surprised, Sarah. I've done IP rounds in clinics that are under the business occupancy, not healthcare occupancy. And I found hand hygiene um, that 2007, 2006, that people were still using. I was kind of surprised that, you know, it didn't like, peel their skin off or cause some other kind of chemical burn or does it, is it effective at all? Um, so don't ever be too surprised when you, when you walk through and just kind of see what's, what's going on and, you know, get in the habit of looking at the dates, the expiration dates, especially. Um, yeah. I think too, like you talked about, you know, bringing it home there with my kids anyway, I believe there is a certain amount of immunity that's built up by eating dirt, right? You go outside and you play and they need that. So if you take, if you take all of that away, does it cause more problems for kids growing up? I don't know, but I was raised on a farm. I ate a lot of dirt when I was growing up. That's probably what's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, on your hands, I totally get what you're saying. You know, on your hands, you got, you know, your, your microbes. And so we're never going to like sterilize, you know, our hands, you know, whether we're using our alcohol-based hand rub, you know, or we're washing, you know, with soap and water. But what we want to do is we want to get those germs, you know, that can cause infection and, and those type things, you know, we want to rinse those off and we want to make sure that we're using our, our hand rub and we're, we're killing it, you know, making sure that we're using like a 60% or more um, alcohol-based hand rub and, and doing that. So we're not sterilizing our hands. I just think we're, you know, making sure we take those bad germs, you know, and, and reducing them or, or killing them or rinsing them off. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And so it's the hygiene hypothesis. 
I think that's the point you're talking about, Sarah, of like when people don't have enough immune challenge in their life, their immune system can overprotect, you know, more asthma, more allergies, et cetera. So that that's where I think if, when people want to like dirt doesn't hurt, that that's where people are going with that. And so I, I think there's something to it. Um, what I would add to that, again, I think it's tough on the general public to know what to do. Um, I had a friend ask me before they went on a pilgrimage, you know, like I'm going on a pilgrimage and I want to be really, really careful. Um, should I disinfect every, should I take wipes with me on the airplane? And I'm like, hey, I don't know if they'll let you take wipes on the airplane. But I was trying to make the point, like the most dangerous thing to you is your own hands, right? Your hands need to be clean before they touch your face or your mouth. So that's what I was trying to, you know, after you go through screening, after you've touched, you know, a lot of, clean your hands, take a little bit of hand sanitizer with you. And that's really like, again, it goes back to those points we're making early on. I think it's very easy for people to be overwhelmed with the opportunities to clean their hands. How do you get them like, what's the most important and let them kind of plan from there. Awesome. Well, I know I certainly want to go wash my hands now. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when you talk about um, head lice and everyone starts itching their head. Or scabies, same Ugh. thing. Let's stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> that the only way to freak out the ghost hunter is to talk about scabies and head lice? I, mean, <laughs> I your... can deal with it, but... I can deal with it. <laughs> no, this is the person that sends me pictures from haunted hallways and in... <laughs> buildings and she's scared of lice i'm just like i i wouldn't even go in these buildings and she's you know spending the night there i just don't get it yeah i tell you what sarah if you have to deal with lice you call me up i'll help out if i have a ghost i'll call you deal deal <laughs> i can't deal with eyeballs either eyeballs freak me out that's like the the one thing that i really can't do well, that's really good because you want to make sure, you know, you, if you have dirty hands, you know, you can take the dirt and the germs and the grime, you know, and put them on your, your eyes. And that's a form of transmission. So if you don't like eyeballs, hopefully you're not touching your eyeballs as much yeah. and you're at reduced risk. I can't wear contacts because I can't do it. It's gross. Freaks me oh, out. I've been yeah. doing it for, I'm not even going to say because it'll <laughs> age me. Um, but, uh, I'll add to Kate's comment that if I have a ghost, I will call you, but I will after I move out. It's not that That'll be bad. my first step. That'll be my first step. Yeah. Do you guys have any other last comments about hand hygiene? Just do it. Like we'll use do the it. Nike slogan. Do just Please. do it and make sure you get all surfaces of your hands, you know, just like with my kids, you know, I learned it at, at their daycare, you know, top and bottom, top and bottom, in between, in between, you know, you got to make sure that you get all the surfaces of your hands, including your fingernails. So I think we can send this to American Idol. That was pretty good. You have, <laughs> you have a good voice there. That was, that was not bad. Yeah, you guys still typing song. I've not yeah. ever heard that one. No, I always, I learned to sing happy birthday to myself twice. Is that what you guys have learned? Yes, that's yes. What I happy birthday. Yep. Make sure you're doing it for at least 20 seconds. Yep. Awesome. Well, do you guys have questions for Rick or I before we leave? Did we you already answer? asked me a hard one. So the next yeah. one has to go to Sarah. I think I'll talk. Let's talk about a myth here. Does it matter the temperature of the water? Ooh, that's a good question. It does not. Very good. Just making sure that, you know, hot water can actually kind of irritate, you know, your hands a little bit more. And just like Jody talked about, you know, hand hygiene integrity. So the temperature of the water doesn't matter, but you want to make sure that you get that lather with that friction and making sure that you're rinsing those germs off and you're rinsing them down, you know, and, and having your, your hands pointed down. A footnote, your temperature question. It should be comfortable. You yes. don't want the water to be so cold that people won't actually wash. And so by regulation, it has to be mixed to a temperature that is comfortable. And yes. so you're right. Hot water, it does not, is not necessary to kill the germs, but at a leadership level, that water has to be a comfortable temperature that won't scare people away. Absolutely. And a question I have is, is in medical facilities, you still have to turn off that water, right? So, I mean, you're supposed to do it with your, with your paper towel or whatever after you've uh, dried off your hands. But 
why don't we have more touchless uh, water faucets? Uh, you know, doesn't that make sense? It does make sense, but the technology has been found to be kind of faulty, isn't it? That it holds water in the pipe, the mm -hmm. certain kinds of touchless technology, there's standing water in there. And so it kind of gets at your um, water management because you have more pipe, more water standing in pipes that's stagnant. Have you guys heard that? Yes. I think, you know, there's, there's kind of pros and cons as well, but I hear what you're saying, you know, those touchless devices can absolutely help. So, you know, in the absence of that, just making sure that you have a routine, you know, when you're washing your hands, you know, you're, you're getting all surfaces and you're rinsing it off and you just make it a habit to, to use that paper towel and make sure that you're, um, you know, turning off that faucet. Just the more times you do it, the more time you do it the same way and you do it as a routine, you know, then it becomes, you know, um, habit. So and what about the door? the door handle and the Ooh. elevator buttons and, you know, yeah. all these things. I mean, it, it, it just, it just grows and grows, right? Yeah. Literally. So I was just thinking about this. I was just went on a road trip and in a lot of gas station bathrooms, they only have the hand dryers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Rebecca yeah. just made a funny face. So what are your guys thoughts on the hand dryers? So on both questions, I think these are places where we need um, industry to make our jobs as healthcare workers easier. It's all fine and good to thank a healthcare worker, but please make our jobs easier, right? Like we should have technology like sinks where there's no stagnant water. They don't splash into the environment, et cetera. So I, that will be my plea on hand hygiene day. I would really love industry to get more involved in making hand hygiene easier and safer. The trouble with dryers, and I don't know if it's resolved or not, but there's been some worry that because they create such a ballast of air that they can actually spread some of your billions of particles of norovirus, for example. It's just a room where you don't necessarily want a lot of air blowing around. So um, I think last I knew it was a bit of an unresolved issue, pros and cons. So think about this with me, you guys we're in a gas station bathroom and they have an air dryer and no paper towels at all. Is it better to dry your hands on the dryer or walk out of the bathroom with wet hands? I'll use the air dryer. I might hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> I use the air dryer with my, my nose in my shirt like this. What happens <laughs> if you're in the bathroom, using the bathroom and you hear the air dryer come on then? Do you do the <laughs> same thing? Same. Nose and shirt. I'm not lying. Do you wear? Do you wear like an N95 shirt? Is it like rated? I think it's, it's smell proof. It's smell proof. What I'm worried about is smell proof. So um, I like like so I'm I'm uh, I'm used to turning things off with my elbow. I'm sure my elbows are filthy, but uh, in public I, I use an air dryer. But the idea that's what makes me nervous is especially when my kids were little and they're standing right under them as I turn them on so good, good thoughts good thoughts <laughs> mm -hmm. all right so we're almost to an hour is there anything that we haven't talked about yet i'm sure there are but that's for the next episode isn't it i think you're right all right so thank you everybody for joining us for this episode of dirty drinks feel free to follow us on twitter at dirty underscore drinks and we would love to have you on as a guest to talk about what you do. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, it was a great, great discussion. If you have any questions for our panels of experts, please reach out and we will get them answered. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at dirty underscore drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of dirty drinks.